Well, glad to see you all here today and see some new faces. And again, just want to second what George said a few minutes ago. And if, if you are visiting us here today, we are really grateful that you're here. Hope that you're blessed by your time. My name is Philip Pattison, and I'm one of the pastors. Um, and uh, I get the privilege of, of taking us now into our next uh, portion of the service. We're going to do a Bible study together. So if you have your Bibles, why don't you go ahead and grab those. Uh, and if you didn't, you can do one of two things. You can either follow along as we read on the screen here. The, the scriptures will be up there. Or if you'd like to follow along in the Bible, which is always uh, fun to do, uh, you can raise your hand and one of our FIT team members will, will put a Bible in your hands. And by the way, if you don't own a Bible, or maybe you don't own a Bible that you can understand what it's saying, if you don't understand the translation, um, uh, just raise your hand. We'll get a Bible in your hands and you can keep that. That'll be our gift for you just for visiting us today. Uh, and if you have like seven like in your car and in your home, and they're just there, you have to give it back. Um, so, all right. Um, well, today we're going to be in, in John chapter 10. So if you've got your Bibles out, John 10. Sorry, Miriam, I'm moving these all around. Uh, John chapter 10, we're continuing on in our, uh, our series through the study of the Gospel of John. We're looking at the life of Jesus, who he was, or who he is, rather, and uh, what he has done. Um, and so uh, we are looking today at probably one of the, in my opinion, one of the uh, sweetest, most encouraging, and yet at the same time, on the flip side, one of the most humbling and challenging stories in all of the Gospel of John. Um, I'm, I'm excited about where we're headed today. And so let, let's just begin our time um, just by praying and asking God's favor on what we're about to do. Um, let's ask that he speaks to us through his word. Heavenly Father, we do uh, thank you so much for your uh, scriptures. We know that, th- that, that through your word you have revealed yourself to us. God, we thank you for the gift that we have in, in, the, in the Bible. And God, we pray that as we now, as we look at it and we talk about it, and as we meditate on it, we pray that you would speak to us. Would you open our hearts to hear you? Um, God, I pray that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you would enable each person here to respond in faith. Um, God, we, we, I believe that you brought every person in this room here for a reason, and we thank you again, Lord, for uh, just the gift of this church, the gift of this fellowship, and the gift of being able to open up your word together. God, please speak. We're listening. That's why we're here. We're listening. Please help us to respond to you. And God, when all is said and done, be glorified, as the song was saying, all honor and glory and praise to you and to you alone. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. It's John chapter 10. Verses 1 through 21 is where we're, what we're looking at today. Let me start. I'm going to read this. Uh, there's a lot here, so I'm just going to read this nice and slowly, and uh, we'll just listen prayerfully. Just as Jesus talking, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by, by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. When he has brought out all of his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they didn't understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. 
He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep, and I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, He has a demon and is insane. Why, why listen to him? Others said, These are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? And that's where we'll stop. There's a lot here, right? Um, first thing I want to point out about this passage, we have something we have to note about John 10, is John 10 comes after John 9, right? Uh, and if you remember in John, well, first off, this is a continuation. Uh, even though there, there's, a, there's a chapter break, we start in 10, there's actually no break between what's happening here. This is a continuation of what we just read in John 9. And if you were here last time we were in John a couple weeks ago, you'll remember that what happened in, in chapter 9 throughout the chapter is Jesus heals a man who was blind from birth, born blind. Heals the guy. And, and, and what we find out throughout the story is that not only was this man's physical eyes made well, you know, healed, but throughout the story, this man's spiritual eyes are, 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 are open wider and wider and wider, right? His, his spiritual vision becomes clearer and clearer. But then we contrast that, though, with the religious leaders of the day, with the Pharisees of that day, okay? What we're told at the end is that, that, that throughout this, this whole chapter, their eyes, I mean, because of you know, their pride and so on, is, is clouding their vision. Jesus, at the end, says, Pharisees, you are the ones who are now blind, you know, this, this blind guy, was, he started off blind and now he is able to see on multiple levels. But Pharisees, you are now blind because of your pride. You think you see, which just shows how blind you are. Okay, there's, a, there's this, this great division uh, between them. In, in chapter 9, the Pharisees tell the man who was, who was healed, they say, Give glory to God. We know that this Jesus is a sinner. We know that this man is a sinner. Okay, uh, and then uh, what we see in verse 38 is this man who was, who was healed drops to his knees in front of Jesus and worships him as the Son of God. Okay, there a great division arose between uh, these, these two parties. All right, blasphemy. They said, this, this man, Jesus, is a sinner. He is of Satan. He actually, they actually say, he, he has a demon inside of him. That's how he's doing what he's doing. Blasphemy and worship. Blasphemy and worship. The, the, the divide is great. I just was reading uh, in, in, I can't remember which gospel it was, but um, where Jesus actually says, you all think I came to bring peace. What's going to happen as a result of who I am and what I'm doing? It's bringing division. Who, who I am is, is bound to bring division. Um, and that's just the reality. And we see it time and time again. There's a division between the people and how they respond to him. And uh, we see it again right here. Uh, we see it in verse 19. John says in 10:19, he says, There was again a division among the Jews because of these words, uh, because of Jesus' words. And so we ask, well, what were the words that were causing division among the Jews? And I think it comes in verse 18 when Jesus says, I have the authority to lay down my life. Remember, he starts there, and that makes sense. We all have a certain amount of authority over our lives. We all have a certain amount of control. I could go jump off a cliff. I could go and jump in front of a bullet for somebody. I have the authority to lay down my life. Okay, um, 
But he doesn't stop there. He says, I have the authority to lay down my life and I have the authority to take it up again. Okay, you see how radical of a claim that is. Um, if you are dead, you can't undead yourself, right? And that's exactly what Jesus said, I have the ability to do. I, I am going to die and then I'm going to undie, is what he just said. Um, so you can understand why some of the, the religious leaders there were like, man, this guy's insane. Why are we even wasting our time listening to him? Because what Jesus is saying he is going to do, he is capable of doing, is something that no mortal man can do. So either Jesus is insane or he's no mortal man. Those are the options we're left with. Either he's a madman or he's no mere mortal man. Um, So once again, we're reminded that, that because of what Jesus said, because of what he claimed, we cannot just come to him apathetically as, as so many are prone to do, as if he's just a good teacher or a good man or a good, you know, even a good prophet or a good moral example. He does not leave us that choice. This is the choice that Jesus gives you and me today. This is what he, because of what he said, because of what he claimed, because of what he did, this is the choice that he leaves us with. He says, you can crown me or you can condemn me. Those, those are the choices he has. And, and if you look through the Gospels, we've seen it in, in John, haven't we? This is, this is uh, how people respond to Jesus with, with what he says and what he does. Either they love him and they worship him, right? They serve him unconditionally. Or they hate him and they kill him. Or they run away. Those are the only real logical uh, responses to Jesus. They, they love him and worship him. They hate him and kill him. Or they run away. Nobody in the Gospels just kind of likes Jesus, Right? But that's kind of our MO in America oftentimes, isn't it? Many, many people who, who are churchgoers and so on, we, we like Jesus. He, he's an interesting guy. He has lots of great things to say. But Jesus doesn't give us that, uh, that option, he says. But through what he says, the radical claims that he makes, he says, you crown me or you condemn me. So that's the, uh, the, the division was the result of uh, Jesus' parables and his explanations that day in John 10. And I think that's what he's leaving you and me today. Um, so let's, I'm going to back up if we can, and we'll just kind of pick this chapter apart. And as we do that, I, I, I believe this is what Jesus is laying before us today. I think there will be a division among the, the responses here today. I think there will be a division. Um, but he, he is calling you to crown him or to condemn him, to, to love him or to walk away. But there's no room for middle ground. What Jesus does and what he says and what he does is meant to push us off the fence one way or another. Um, so let's, let's go back and let's look at this. Chapter 10. And we don't have time to go through this word for word. So here's what I'd like to do. I'd like to just simply look at three main ideas in this uh, chapter. I want to look at the sheep, the door, and the shepherd. The sheep, the door, and the shepherd. All right, so first let's look at the sheep. Who are the sheep in this story? Somebody. Yell it out. We are. We're the sheep, right? We are the sheep. Um, Now, most of us don't know a whole lot about sheep, right? Anybody got a lot of experience with sheep? Probably not. Okay, I don't have all that much experience with sheep. Um, so when it comes to passages like this, and I'm supposed to teach on it somehow, um, it, when we come to parables uh, like this where I know very little, what it causes me to do is it causes me to do a whole lot of study and to find people who do know something about sheep. Uh, and uh, so I've done quite a bit of research this week and uh, tried to get a handle on what Jesus is saying here and try to find some people who know a bit about sheep. And good news, I found some folks. So I'm going to reference some different people today. Um, I read one story about a pastor named Douglas McMillan. And Douglas McMillan used to be a shepherd before he uh, was in full-time ministry. Uh, Douglas McMillan talked about, uh, was just kind of talking about 
the life of a shepherd. And he said that when he would go out with his uh, flock and they would go out to the pasture where the sheep could graze, he said one thing that was of the utmost importance for the shepherd to do was to maintain eye contact at all times with the sheep. He had to have a clear line of sight with the sheep at all times. And so he would, you know, every time he would go out there, he would, he would climb up in this high ridge so that he could see every single sheep at all times. Why would that be important, do you think? Well, on, on one side, well, you've got to protect the sheep, right? So if you see a fox coming or a wolf coming, then you would, you know, whistle at him, you'd throw a rock at him or whatever, and the, the fox would dart away, okay? So you want to keep, you want to protect him. But he said there was an equally as important uh, reason that he did that as well. Okay, can you think of another reason why it would be important for a shepherd to have complete, absolute knowledge of their sheep at all times? Um, I, think, I think I heard somebody say it. Okay, this is, it's not flattering. We'll start with that. Okay, it's not a compliment. It's because he said sheep are helpless and dumb. All right? Sheep are helpless and, uh, and dim-witted, basically, is what he said. One pastor I read actually um, pointed out that if you, if you were to let out most animals, like if you were to let most animals go loose, you know, take off the leash or take away the fences or whatever, most often what will happen, you know, whether it's a horse or a cat or a dog or whatever, they'll do one of two things, okay? Either they will run off, you know, run into the wild, they're free again, they're, in their, you know, they're back to their natural habitat, they're wild, or they'll come running home. Eventually they'll come home. Um, you know, they're wild horses, they're wild dogs, they're wild cats, but we've never seen a flock of wild sheep, right? Okay, that, that doesn't exist. Why is that? Well, because according to this pastor, forgive me, sheep are too dumb to be wild. That's actually the, the phrase he used. Sheep are too dumb to be wild. Um, because without a shepherd, the sheep die. Without a shepherd, sheep die. Sheep lose their direction in a way that other animals don't. Okay, sheep don't have any discernment in knowing where to go or what to eat. If you don't want, sheep will eat poisonous plants unless you show them what's good for them to eat. Okay, they, have, they, have no, they have no distinction between what's good for them and what's bad for them. Did you know that a sheep can actually uh, fall on its back like a turtle, right? And, and it oftentimes cannot figure out how to get back up on its feet. And so it will just literally lay there until it dies, right? It's kind of sad, kind of pathetic. Um, sheep are dim-witted, slow, defenseless, basically helpless, okay? Uh, so... We see what Jesus is saying here is not all that flattering, is it? All right, on, on one hand, okay? And basically he's saying, I think he's saying, uh, you're a bunch of weak, helpless, defenseless animals. You don't know what's good for you. You don't know you're up from your down. You, you don't know where to go. You don't know what to do. You don't know what to feed on. You can't protect yourself. Without me, you will not survive. That, that's the reality, I think, of what Jesus is saying here. That's a very humbling statement, isn't it? Um, if you're a Christian in here today, then you're somebody who has taken Jesus at his word and you have recognized your helplessness. You have recognized that you are dependent upon Jesus. You have looked, stopped looking to yourself to provide, to be your own Lord, to be your own Savior, and you have looked to Jesus. You have recognized your sheepness, right? You've recognized your sheepness. That means if you're a Christian in here today, then you don't walk into this room with swagger, right? There is no room for swagger. We cannot walk into this room or any room for that matter wearing badges and turning up our nose at people. Why? Because we're sheep. We are sheep. We are helpless without God. We are completely dependent upon something outside of ourselves. We are dependent upon the Lord. John 15, Jesus says, uh, we'll, we'll talk about it eventually. John, Jesus basically says, without me, you can do nothing. 
And a Christian is somebody who recognizes that, who recognizes their sheepness. They're completely dependent upon Jesus. So on one side, we don't walk into this room with the swagger. On the flip side, we also don't walk in here with the limp, with our head held low, feeling bad about ourselves. Please hear me. Um, not only are sheep the most helpless of all animals, which is true, okay? Not only are they, are they helpless, but did you know that they are pound for pound the most valuable of all animals? That they're, they're incredibly valuable. That's, why, uh, that's the reason why it would not have been unusual. Jesus talked about this. It would not have been unusual for a shepherd to leave the 99 sheep to go and find the one that was lost and then come home and throw a party, and celebrate because the sheep was valuable. It was precious. And here's why. Because every single part of that sheep was valuable. The wool is valuable. The skin is valuable. The, sh- the, the, the meat is, is valuable. Source after source after source that I looked on on this, uh, on this topic uh, said the very same thing. Uh, shepherds didn't keep their money in a bank because their treasure was in the field. Their, 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 their money was in the field grazing. The sheep were their treasure. Charles Spurgeon, in his book, uh, Miracles and Parables, he wrote this about John 10. He said, in the Latin tongue, in the Latin language, the word for money is akin to the word sheep, because to many of the first Romans, wool was their wealth, and their fortunes lay in their flocks. The Lord Jesus is our shepherd. We are his wealth. If you ask him where his treasures are, he will tell you, the Lord's portion is his people. The Lord Jesus Christ has nothing that he values as he does his own people. For their sakes, he gave up all that he had and died naked on the cross. So you see that our sheepness in one side is, is, is incredibly humbling. It, we, we are helpless. If, if Jesus calls us sheep, then what he's saying basically is that we are uh, defenseless and impotent. But in another sense, Jesus is saying, regardless of that, I so value you and I love you and I treasure you. You are so precious to me. Um, I, think, I think it was, I listened to so many sermons on this this week, but I think it was Keller who was talking about this, that, um, you, you know, we, we know that God created the world through Jesus, right? It was, it was made through him, it was made for him, it was made by him. G- God created the universe through Jesus, and all things are held together by the word of his power that he holds the universe in the palm of his hand, right? That everything, the stars belong to him, and the galaxies belong to him, and the seas belong to him, and the mountains belong to him, and the caverns and the canyons all belong to God. But he looks at us and says, out of all of this beautiful grandeur of creation, you are my treasure. You are my possession. You, you are what I value. I value you so much that I'm going to spill my blood for you. I think it was Caleb. I think what he said was basically there is no greater statement about the human dignity than that. We are lovely because Christ loves us. Yes, we are helpless. Yes, we don't know our left from our right. But we are lovely because he loves us. We are valuable because he values us. That's where we find our worth. Amen? None of us should walk in here with a limp, nor should we walk in here with a swagger. We like to say that the gospel of Jesus Christ is the great leveler. It's the great equalizer. Okay? It humbles you and it exalts you at the same time. There is no room for self-righteousness, nor is there room for self-loathing as a Christian. There's no room for self-righteousness, nor is there any room for self-loathing. So that's, that's first. We are the sheep. Second, let's look at the door. Jesus says in verse 9, he says, I am the door. 
If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and he will go in and out and find pasture. Well, what does he mean by that? It's actually a really neat picture. Um, Ray Stedman pointed this out. He said that, that G- what Jesus is referring to is something that uh, uh, many shepherds of that day would often do. This is what the shepherds would do in that day. Right in the middle of the day when the sun was at its hottest, right? When the sun was at its highest and, and, and the, the heat of the day was just blazing, uh, the, the shepherd would lead their little flock to this enclosure, this temporary little shelter that they would make out of shrubs and brush and such, and they would lead the, the, the sheep in, and they would come in here and they would find rest, and they would find you know, shelter from the, from the uh, blazing sun, and uh, it would be a place where they could find rest and be safe from all the wild animals outside, okay? Okay. Um, and there was this opening in this little temporary shelter that all, you know, all the sheep would go into. Um, and then it was at this little opening that the shepherd himself would actually lie down in front of. The shepherd himself would cover the opening to the shelter. It would lie down himself. And so nothing could get into those sheep without facing him first. Nothing could, without passing through him. And the sheep could not go in or out without crossing over the shepherd. The, the shepherd was literally the door Literally the door. So hear what Jesus is saying here. To go into this fold, to go into this enclosure for you and me, when Jesus says that he is the door, that anyone who enters through him can find rest, can find safety, can find security, can find salvation. He is the door if we want to find salvation in life. And this is what we're all longing for, right? Some, some to, to be safe, to find, to find security. I mean, and what a, what a desperate need for today. Um, wars abroad, terrorism threats right here in our very backyard. You know, I just uh, a few days ago hearing about bomb threats just down the street from our church office, just at the, the, the high school there. I don't, I, don't know, I, I don't know if it was a le- legitimate threat or not, but here's what's not okay is at 2.30 in the afternoon, our kids stopping their classes and having to be uh, transported to another high school because there was a bomb threat. And that's not okay. okay do, do you think our kids feel secure at that time? Well, our kids need security. I mean, our, our economy is fragile. Our political state is, is fragile. Our, 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 there's insecurity in our jobs. Nobody feels secure, but this is all what we all long for, isn't it? So, so here, listen to the beauty of what Jesus is offering. He's saying, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, you will be saved. You will be safe. You will find security. Now, when we enter in through Jesus, does that mean that everything just magically Whisks away? No, of course not. But what it does mean is that anything that comes into your life from this point on, anything that comes into your life has to go through Jesus first. Consider that. Anything that comes your way has to go through Jesus first. And these things still do come through in, in, into our life. But consider that when they come through Jesus, God, Jesus has, has such a way, and we, there are so many testimonies of this in our life, he has such a way that he can take these things and he can mold them and he can shape them to that, that when you do experience them, they actually work out for your good and for his glory. In fact, in, in, in verse 4, Jesus says that he, you know, he, he goes before the sheep. Um, it says that Jesus leads the sheep and they follow. He goes before us. I love that when you become a Christian, it's not like God just says, okay, Philip, you're a Christian, you're, you're, you're a follower of Jesus. Now, here, here's a map. This is your destination. I hope you get there. I hope to see you there. You know, at this final destination, better not make any wrong turns. Yet that's oftentimes how we approach our Christian life. 
is we think that God just gave us a map and we're just, we think we're on our, on our own, hoping not to make the wrong turns. But according to this, Jesus goes before us. God doesn't give us a map when, he becomes, when we become a Christian. God gives us himself. God gives us himself. And so he goes before us and he leads us and we follow him. And as Jesus leads, as we walk, we walk behind him on that path, he says, anything that comes your way has to go through me first. He's the door. So in Jesus, we find safety, we find rest, we find security, but that's not all. I like the way John Piper put it. He said, he said, not one of us wants to be merely safe. We were not created merely to be safe. The human heart wants infinitely more than safety. Oh, yes, safety is basic and it's necessary. We want to be protected from what can destroy us. We want life but we want more than mere life. We want abundant life, overflowing life, deep life, weighty life, joyful life. We don't just want to survive, we want to thrive. At every level of our human being, we were made for this. The sheepfold represents safety and protection, but sheep don't want to stay there. In fact, they'll die if they stay in the safety of the fold. They want green pastures and still waters. He didn't create us just for safety and security. He created us to grow and to be healthy and to be strong. Christ didn't come just so we could sit snugly and safely in our little holy huddles, did he? We were made to go in and out and to find pasture. The pasture is where we eat and where we drink and where we grow and where we get healthy. And in our terms here that we often use, it's, it's, it's where we are to bear fruit. At Twin Oaks Church, we've identified, we talk about this sometimes, we've identified six primary ways that we believe that as Christians we feed and we grow and we get healthy and we bear fruit as believers. These will be familiar to you. It's practical teaching, private disciplines, personal ministry, providential relationships, pivotal circumstances, and proclaiming the gospel. These six areas are the ways that we believe that we grow and we get healthy. This is our pasture. Jesus doesn't just bring us in to give us safety and security. He also sends us out. We go in and out to find pasture. He sends us in and out, and, and he gives us tools and environments where we are able to experience life and life abundant. Um, so let me just ask, how have you positioned yourself to experience this? How have you positioned yourself to, to feed and to grow and to bear fruit? Practical teaching. Are, are you uh, making our time here on Sunday mornings as we, as we study the Bible together and we try to apply the, the, the scriptures together, are you making this time a priority? You're doing pretty good. You're here. <laughs> Nicely done. All right. Um, that's practical teaching. And by the way, there's, there's also a, a, just a tremendous amount of great resources throughout the week. If you want to be exposed to practical Bible teaching, there's all kinds of great podcasts that you can be listening to throughout the week that will just continue to, to, to you know, feed you the scriptures in such a way that you can understand and apply that to your life. If you don't know where to start on that, I would love to give you some suggestions. I listen to some great, really neat podcasts that really feed me. Um, what about uh, uh, private disciplines? Have you made space in your life? For, for the, the personal private disciplines, you know, for, for personal prayer and for you know, the, the personal study of God's word. And I hear over and over and over again, I'm just so busy. I'm too busy to, you know, to be studying. Well, friends, you're too busy. That's what it comes down to. If you're too busy to study God's word and to, to pray and, to, to, have a, and to, to foster a relationship with God, the fact is you're too busy. You need to cut some things out of your life. We, we keep the main thing the main thing. The problem, is, the problem is we keep the minor things the main thing. I read a stat just the other, just the other day that 40% of, of, of uh, Christians uh, don't open their Bible from Sunday to Sunday. 40%. Um, 
again, this is not, I'm not trying to be legalistic here. I'm saying, this is a gift. God's word is a gift to us, given to us. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. That's what Jesus said. This is how we feed. This is how we grow. It's through studying God's word and through prayer. And there's more to the fasting and giving and so on. Private disciplines. What about, you know, I could just keep going through each of these six. I won't spend much time here, but are you, are you engaged in personal ministry? Are you serving? Are you experiencing and enjoying providential relationships? Are you fostering God, these God-given loving relationships that we're called to have as Christians? Or, or pivotal circumstances. Those are defining moments in our life that help you know, either grow us. You know, these defining moments have the potential to either grow us or to kind of uh, shatter us. How are you developing, intentionally developing a biblical worldview that will help you to face those pivotal circumstances that will come into your life that will actually help you to be propelled towards Christ instead of away from him? Are you being intentional about developing a biblical worldview to help, help you face whatever comes your way? And then finally, it's proclaiming the gospel. That's our sixth, we call them the six Ps. These are the ways that we grow and bear fruit. Are you proclaiming the gospel? Are you sharing your faith? Um, you know, we oftentimes think that you know, we, we just share our faith just for the sake of the person listening, and that's the primary reason. But for those of you who have shared your faith, you know that when you get to share some, um, you know, Jesus with somebody, there is nothing that, that is more invigorating and, and, and will, something that will fill you with joy and that will help grow you than proclaiming the gospel. Those are our Ps. Uh, this, is how we, we, this is what we believe the abundant life uh, looks like to experience love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. These are fruits of the Spirit. Are you bearing fruit? Are you positioning yourself to bear fruit? We've got to keep going. Uh, Jesus is the door. We are the sheep. And then Jesus says, he says, I am the good shepherd. He says, I am the good shepherd. So first, let's look. Uh, here, here's what Jesus doesn't say. He doesn't say, I'm kind of like a shepherd. He doesn't say, I'm like a shepherd. He says, I am the Good shepherd. I am the shepherd. And he says, I am the door. You see, there, there's an, an exclusive claim that Jesus makes here. This, this uniqueness to Jesus. Uh, another place he says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And then he backs that up by saying, nobody comes to the Father except through me. There's an exclusive claim here. Again, these very radical claims are just, you know, Force us off the fence one way or another. He says, I am the good shepherd. I am, I am the only way to find life and salvation. But he not only says, I am the uh, shepherd. He says, I am the good shepherd. I love that. Uh, he says in verse 14, he says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. And then earlier in verse 3, he says, the sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out. Um, here, here's, what he's, here's the picture that he's painting, and they would have been familiar with this. Um, in, in the first few verses here, I told you, I don't know a whole lot about shepherding. I don't know much about sheep, but uh, source after source after source basically said the same thing, that, that sheep in general do know the voice of their shepherd. They will recognize the voice of their shepherd. And the picture that we get in the first few voices of this, of this or the first few verses of this story is the shepherd coming in the morning uh, to a sheep pen where the sheep have been resting at night. And there's a watchman who will watch over the sheep pen. And there's actually going to be five or six different flocks all hanging out in this one sheep pen that, you know, this team of watchmen would watch over, okay? And in the morning, the shepherd comes and then would, like, make some noise. They'd either, you know, yell something out or they'd whistle or something, and the sheep would recognize the voice of the shepherd and then filter throughout the whole big flocks, you know? They'd filter out, and then they'd follow their, you know, distinct shepherd out into the pastures to graze. 
Um, so Jesus is giving this picture. And so what he's saying is, is fairly typical. But there is one thing. Every source I, I looked at said basically the same thing. There is one thing that Jesus says here that is not typical. That would have been absolutely unprecedented uh, uh, to, to the hearers. Um, it was not typical for the shepherd to show up in the morning and to call out each sheep by its name. He calls out, he doesn't, you know, the, the, the shepherd doesn't come out and just do a whistle and everybody kind of comes out as a group. He calls them out by name. He says, Joe, Gene, Katie, you know, and so David, Alan, Liz, and so on. Just starts calling them out one by one, one at a time. I, I love that. He calls us out each by name. And this is important for a couple of reasons. One, uh, as Ray Stedman put it, he said, because following Jesus, we know, is a personal decision. This is what Ray Stedman said. He said, notice that every encounter with Jesus in the Gospel of John is on a personal basis. He met Nicodemus by night. He met the woman at the well of Samaria. He met the impotent man at the pool of Bethesda. He met the man born blind. In each of these encounters, he met the individual alone. And through all the centuries since, every believer who has come to Jesus has come alone. Jesus never takes a group in at once. It's always you and he alone. What you believe in the silence and the loneliness of your own heart about him is what makes the difference. There is where the transaction is done. He calls his own sheep by name. Okay, following Jesus is a personal decision. You're not a Christian because you show up at church and you're surrounded by a lot of Christians. You're not a Christian by association with your family. You're a Christian by association with Jesus. You, you, you and he alone. Okay, it's a, following Jesus is a personal decision. But here's the other neat thing about the reality that Jesus knows us by name. Okay, please hear me now. He knows you personally. Okay, he knows you intimately. Jesus knows your personal sheepness. Okay, he knows your personal weakness. He knows how helpless you personally are. He knows how impotent you personally are. Jesus is personal. He goes to Nathaniel and says, he says, Nathaniel, I saw you under the fig tree. Remember he, the woman at the well in, I think it's John 4, he says, I know how many men you've been with. He tells the rich man, the young rich man, he says, I know what idols are gripping your heart. Jesus knows you personally. Um, he, he, he looks at us and can say, I know everything about you. I have seen how insecure you are and how prone you are to wander. I can see underneath all of that facade that you put up and all of that swagger that you put up. I can see just how fragile you truly are, just how vulnerable you truly are. I can see all your, you know, I've seen all of your weaknesses. I know every dumb thing you've done in the past. And by the way, I know every dumb thing you're going to do this afternoon and tomorrow and the next day, and the next day, Jesus knows us completely. Please hear me. There is nothing that you can do that will surprise Jesus. There is nothing that you can do or that I can do that will surprise him. Like, oh, I didn't know that about him. He's not learning new things about us. He knows us personally completely. He knows our personal sheepness. And on one hand, that's kind of a terrifying thought, isn't it? That the holy God knows, knows us, you know, every bit of us, every little ounce, every little crevice, and every little dark corner. But we must come to grips with this. We must understand this. For this is the first step to finding true freedom. Because listen, please hear me. Jesus shows us in this story, as one person said, that, that though he, he knows us to the very bottom, he loves us to the skies. If you don't hear anything else this morning... 
Please understand that. He knows us to the very bottom, and he loves us to the heavens. He loves us to the skies. That's the gospel. He knows us. He knows that we are sinners. He knows the worst thing that you have ever done or the worst thing that you're going to do. Maybe it's still to come. And he loves you to the very skies. And he shows us this by what he says in verse 15. After he says all this, you know, I, 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 I know my sheep. By the way, he, even, he even qualifies how well he knows. He says, as, as well as I know my father, who I have been in, in, in personal relationship with for eternity past. He said, as well as I know the father, I know you. That's what he says. As, the, as I know the father and the father knows me, I know my sheep. After he says all this and he says, I know my sheep by name. He says then, he says, and I lay down my life for them. He didn't just say that he loves us. He proved it. He demonstrates it. That, that in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He lays his life down for the sheep. That is the greatest news in all of the world, isn't it? He knows us to the core, and yet he still can say, but I love you, and I value you, and I desire you. I want a relationship with you to the point where I'm going to spill my own blood. I'm going to give up everything I have, and I'm going to give my very life so that you can have life. He says, I lay down my life for the sheep. But in fact, if you look at the Greek, what he says is, I, I lay down my life instead of the sheep. That's actually the literal translation. I lay down my life instead of the sheep. Jesus becomes our substitute. The, the great shepherd, the good shepherd, hear me, becomes a sheep. The good shepherd becomes a sheep. And it says in Isaiah 53, he, Jesus, was oppressed and afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. As a sheep before her shearers is silent, so was he. I, th- I think, do you, do you know what I think Jesus was thinking about on the cross? He, remember, he, he cries out right at the very end. He cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Remember, that's, remember that comes from Psalm 22, right? He's thinking about Psalm 22. Do you know what it says? This is a paraphrase. I don't have it written down here. But you know what he, he basically says in Psalm 22, the, the, the psalmist who is prophesying about this? It says, the roaring lions surround me. The do, uh, are all, are, I think the roaring lions encompass me or something like that. The dogs surround me. I am pierced. I am pierced and nailed or something of that nature. Basically, he's saying the wolves are attacking. And the Lamb of God who, who takes away the sin of the world was being consumed in our place. I mean, he said, I'm dying for my lambs. I became a lamb so that I can die for my lambs. I love, I love the way Keller put it. He, he said this, Jesus Christ, the great one, became a little lamb so we little lambs could become great ones. Let that sink in. Jesus Christ, the great one, became a little lamb so we little lambs could become great ones. As we close, let me just ask this. Are you trusting Jesus to be your shepherd? Are you trusting Jesus today to be your shepherd? Because to follow Jesus as our shepherd means two things. It means that we trust him completely and we trust him unconditionally. We trust him completely and we trust him without condition. We don't come to him and say, well, uh, you can have this part of my life and you can have this area and this area and this area, but I think I got it over here. I'm cool over here. All right? Or you, you, I'll, I'll trust you as long as you do this for me and this for me and this for me. Okay, as long as nothing painful happens, as long as there's not anything that comes in my life that I don't understand, I got to make sense of everything that goes on. So as long as that happens, I'll, I'll continue to trust you and I'll continue to follow you. Um, 
Keller writes this. He says, to follow Jesus as your shepherd means to follow him unconditionally. He says this. He says, the trouble with lost sheep is not only do they get lost, but also when you find them, it's very difficult to round them up. He said, lost sheep run to and fro in a panic. When you find them, you, gotta, you, you must seize them, throw them to the ground, tie its four legs and its hind legs together, and put it over your shoulders to get it home. He says, there's this beautiful story in Luke 15 where the shepherds see a, a poor little lost lamb, and he goes after it. It says that he puts it on his shoulder, and he brings it home rejoicing. Isn't that so sweet? But do you realize what he did? This sweet little lamb, he goes out there, and there's the sheep. What does he do? He grabs it. He throws it to the ground. He stuns it. He ties up the hind legs, ties up the four legs, puts it on his back, and then he goes home rejoicing. Here's what Jesus is saying. Over and over again, you're going to be thinking that you're getting treatment that's too rough. Over and over again, you're going to say, look at the things that are happening to me in my life. If I had a shepherd, this would never happen to me. He says, but you're a sheep. You're a sheep. Your understanding is so limited. So often the loving thing that a shepherd has to do to a sheep to bring it home and to save its life is something that the sheep just can't understand, or at least not at that moment. Isn't that true? Some of you might be in that situation today when things are painful and they're confusing and you're like, what in the world? If I had a shepherd, this would never be happening to me. What is going on? Why, is, why does he feel like he's throwing me down? Why does it feel like he's hurting me? Why does it feel like he's tying me up? We may not understand, but guys, we're sheep. He's the good shepherd. And so we trust him. We can trust him unconditionally. And we, like I said, we trust him completely. The shepherd, like I've been saying, is everything to the sheep. The shepherd is the sheep's provider and protector and leader and physician and guide and owner and savior. Okay, and I think we believe this in theory. We love Psalm 23. The Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, right? We love that one. Okay, I guarantee if I go into some of your homes this afternoon and I were to open up the kitchen cabinets, I guarantee some of you have a mug that says, or coffee cup that says, the Lord is my shepherd on that coffee cup, or it's hanging on your wall somewhere in your house. All right, the Lord is my shepherd. But consider what it means when we say the Lord is my shepherd. We're saying he is everything to me. In the same way that the shepherd is everything to the sheep, Jesus must be our everything. We like the sound of the Lord is my shepherd, but if we're honest, everything in our heart rages against that statement. Because in our heart of hearts, basically, we believe we're pretty good people. We don't really need a shepherd. Maybe a consultant, right? We, we want to keep Jesus on a retainer is what we want. Okay, we want to keep Jesus on a retainer so that we can call, call him in when we need him, right? When we're in a pinch. But basically, we're pretty good people, right? We'll make the right decisions unless we're pushed up against the wall. So as long as Jesus is on a retainer and we can call him when we either need money or we need advice. But that's not what a shepherd is. The shepherd is everything to the sheep. Is Jesus everything to you? Um, I'll, I'll just close by asking this. I heard uh, one pastor talk about an exercise that he used to do in, in Navigators. Navigators put out a book on the lordship of, of Christ. Is, is Jesus the Lord and the master of your life? And here was, here was the exercise. And this, I would encourage you to do this. I'm challenged to do this. T- take a few minutes and make a list. Grab a piece of paper and make a list of every single area of your life. Okay? Every relationship. Uh, you know, I'm a father. I'm, I'm a husband. I'm a whatever. The relational side of your life the financial side, the political side, the sexual side, the, 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 the professional side. Every, make a list out of every single area of your life. And then take that list in your hand and line by line, ask yourself this question. Line by line, ask yourself this question. Am I willing to obey everything God wants me to do in this area? 
Look at each line. Am I willing to obey everything God wants me to do in this area? This is what it means when the scriptures say, in all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. By the way, you could read that. That could be read, in all your ways acknowledge him and he will shepherd your paths. Are you trusting in Jesus as your shepherd completely and unconditionally? For this is what he is calling us to today. Jesus is the good shepherd who, who knows us by name. He is the door and all who enter in by him might find salvation and might find life abundant. Amen? All right, let's pray.